You're very welcome to the Locker Room Podcast. This is episode number 75 uh, with me, your host, Kieran Dealey, and we have DSS Head of Performance, Ross Bennett, as well with me. And we're going to speak today about how to plan a good preseason, part one, focusing on the physical corner. And we'll come back and get part two, where we look at technical, tactical and psychosocial corners as well. Uh, Ross, you're very welcome back. And this is obviously an area that you have lots of experience in across professional football, Gaelic football, uh, academy, first team level, senior level and, and in different sports. Yeah, thanks, Kiz. Uh, looking forward to this one. Obviously very relevant to the, the football off-season right now. So um, and we've had experience in the Gaelic, as you said. So, yeah, hopefully lots of uh, lots of things to think about and a bit thought provoking for the listeners. Okay, cool. Um, just before we jump into then, and I'm, go- I'm just going to ask you about how you kind of plan it out with the medical team or the, the, the staff or the manager. <clears throat> I suppose it's worth just mentioning about the scheduling of the preseason. So in professional football, off-season will be starting around about now or in a couple of weeks, depending whether you're operating in Premier League, Champions League, or last stage of Champions League, very few. Um or in, in the championship, it's more or less around now. So you're talking about beginning to middle of May, you get about about six weeks of off-season, and then that takes you up to kind of mid to end of June. So that's the end of your off-season. And then generally players and teams will start coming back in end of June, beginning of July. <clears throat> All, uh, of course, as well, depending on international tournaments and competitions in in the off-season period. Um, and then you'll have about six weeks of pre-season in general before the beginning of the competitions. Uh, in terms of the GA world, because it's worth kind of just briefly mentioning that, so inter-county teams will start their pre-season period uh, mid-November. So that's a kind of a hard and fast rule that's brought in by Croke Park. That will take them up to the <clears throat> end of December. And then you've got Auburn Cup, Games, uh, FPD, Connacht, uh, McGrath Cup, etc. I can't remember the Ulster one. Um, then at the, the very, very beginning of January. And then for club teams in GA, you'll generally be talking about returning. So first competitive games for the league will be around about mid-March. So that means that really teams would be going back at the beginning of February. And in our training planner that we periodized training planner that we have on the products page on dailysportscience.com for teams and practitioners there we generally start we advise to start back in February but I know obviously there are teams and practitioners who start back uh, at Christmas time or beginning of January or maybe even before Christmas time depending on your previous season so that's just a general kind of word about the scheduling and how long an off-season is how long a pre-season is and and such Ross, just the kind of, I guess, the mechanics of the preseason planning and everything. Like, who do you sit down with, and and who does the kind of vast majority of the planning for for coming up with a program and a, and an overall schedule in such a position? And and you can, I think, mostly speak about professional football, and we can throw in a few little bits of information about GA as we go. Yeah, of course, kids. Thanks, mate. Um, I think 
I think it differs depending on the dynamic and the strength of, of the people that are in post at a club. So if you've got um, a head coach or a manager um, who's quiet, well, they're going to have their views anyway. So they're, they're always going to start off with the manager and head coach around, you know, pre-season length of time, um, you know, and you start off with the question of how do we get our players to this starting point, which is obviously the first game of the season for, for many of us uh, in terms of the league game. It will be a collaborative effort between coaches, head coach, managers, sports science staff, SSE staff, and it would be coming up with a plan that's working around. There might be some tours that are in place commercially. There might be some tours that, like at top end, uh, I was reading something around Jurgen Klopp last year. Liverpool went straight to Asia. I think it was um, straight off the bat, so they didn't get any preparation time before they went to Asia. So they was preparing um, as well as playing in like a commercial tournament that was really good for the really good for the team. And this year they're stripping that back and going two weeks into the preseason period. So actually those two weeks to be able to get a real good volume base of when the players return before they fly and have to take part in those. Um, seems to think it will make all the difference and had a massive impact on the season this year. So I think that goes to show like how important in professional football the preseason period is because like once you get into the competition phase for those players who are playing regularly, a, you want them to be able to tolerate that, and B, the opportunity to be able to develop them physically is, is, is limited because you're going game to game, if not two games a week. So in terms of planning and structures, there's a whole host of people like involved in it, including medical staff, sports science staff, and, and coaching and management, but also commercial staff as well, who, who you've got tours where you, you might have to play in certain countries, you might have to play certain testimonial games, and all of that feed into the pre-season planning. So it's quite a long-winded process, especially in a, in a period where people try and have a little bit of downtime. It becomes quite a busy period to try and plan and get right for when they return. And I mean, it's a really good point about the commercial aspect of, of this when it comes to clubs, because if you're looking at the upper end of the game, like Real Madrid, Man United, uh, Man City and, and some of those, like they are... This is a money-making exercise as well for them, like especially in America and in the Far East. And obviously, as you know well, like going through different time zones and players experiencing jet lag and everything like that, it's not the optimal way of preparing for a, a really, really heavy load, you know, uh, Premier League season and Champions League season with lots of games, a really intensive schedule and all. But I suppose... Ultimately, the players' wages get paid by that and the coaching staff and everybody else in the club. So there has to be a little bit of give and take in that. Just in terms of then, I mean, I suppose the easiest way to begin to design the structure of the warm or the of the preseason is like to get the games program, isn't it? You know, like everything kind of works off that in terms of competition, but also as you say, preseason games and and that's not really going to be determined by the sports scientist or the head of performance, like those friendly games, even though they'll have input, but those friendly games, tournament games in, in preseason is going to be dictated to by the club usually. Yeah, exactly that, Keir. So like, you're normally looking around six friendlies across that six-week period. Um, you'll have a couple of weeks where there'll be two game weeks, but that might be an opportunity to, to circle some players like minutes across that that two games um so that yeah they're scheduled in by coaching staff by managers with collaboration and, and discussion around what type of fixture we want where um so like you'd always typically start off with a fixture that is against a lower league team 
um, ideally, so you can get players' minutes and it's a little bit less intensity and you introduce them to the game more, or, or even an in-house game before that where you start to introduce them LMB 11 time practice in training. And then as you get through the preseason period, you have a, um, a game or two games against an opposition that's close to the level you're going to face in the league, if not above. So for us, we'll try and get a Premier League team uh, for the last game of the, the pre-season to really try and test the players and physically, but also across the other, other corners. But as you said, once you get those schedule, then you can start sitting down saying, OK, well, this is the sort of work we need to get in where, how are we going to lead into the game? We're probably not going to taper as much in pre-season, but we're going to have to still respect the game. And how do we progress the minutes? Because um, that, that's an important one. So there's a general rule of thumb um, and it's not always perfect because things happen and, and you know, you, you have players available and not available and stuff like that. But two, two halves of football to start off with in the first two fixtures, you can share the load across all the squad. You've got 22, 24 players, you can share it across. And even if you haven't, you bring up some B-team players and give them some exposure and academy players in, in pre-season. Then two games where players are going to 60 minutes. Um, and that's where you could rotate in those double game weeks um, if you've got a, a Saturday, Tuesday or Saturday, Wednesday. And then like you definitely want one game where players are playing a full game to prepare them for the first game of the season. But I think it's fair to say, and we experience this in the Gaelic as well, that even the first few weeks into the season, players are still adapting and getting used to that intensity and that you know championship level and whatever league you're playing in. So it's really, really hard to prepare them exactly for that. But it's uh, you get them close to it in terms of minutes and gradually building their minutes up throughout throughout the period. Yeah, <clears throat> I actually think in the in the GA world in the intercounty scene, it works quite well how in ways they've kind of fallen upon a, a a nice schedule in terms of physical loading because they've got six weeks of preseason. Um, <clears throat> now it's not always the right stuff is done in that six week preseason. You know, I have experience in different places where. You know, we, the, the teams have gone straight off the bat at really high load weeks and, and lots of high speed running and, and stuff like that. And then obviously injury occurs off the back of that. But these pre, pre-season tournaments, so they're called, like the Auburn Cup and McGrath Cup that I mentioned at the very beginning of January, whereby you're playing teams of similar level, some higher, some lower, they are, you know, competitive, let's say by nature, but obviously you're only getting up to speed in it. And then you've got a couple of weeks before you start into the league campaign. And you quite rightly said that for teams at the very beginning of February, end of January, it can be hard to be just up to speed, you know, in the first few games. And the trajectory is generally a fairly steep line or or curve whereby teams get better and better as the league goes on and then get better again into championship and then into latter stages of championship. The football world is world is tricky, isn't it? Because obviously, the three points on offer in mid August are worth the same as the three points on offer at the end of April. Yeah. Like, what are your thoughts around that? Where you know managers and football directors or owners will always say they want teams to be the fittest in the league and everything like that, but sometimes it can be hard to achieve that at the beginning of the season or like in Jurgen Klopp's case whereby they can come out at 100 miles an hour to begin the season but very hard to maintain that throughout the season so it's really difficult to maintain that performance and peak like all the time throughout the season 
Yeah, I think it's one of my biggest learning curves coming into this role is that, like, just obviously there's been loads of other factors this year with, with, with QPR, but um, the season is it's a marathon. It really is. So there's different ways of getting points on the board and, like, completing that season. And obviously everybody wants their team to be as fit as they can on the first game of the season. That, that's the focus. But, like, you have to remember there are, you know, X amount 40-odd games that you've got to play throughout that year. So... I think there's different ways of doing it, understanding that at times your players physically aren't going to be at their best performance to be able to sustain week in, week out after the, the preseason period, whether that's after two or three months, whether you uh, extend that preseason period for the first four games and look to peak on game five and six um, and then manage appropriately. I think that's a discussion that, it, that takes quite good and precise planning from director of football, from the chairman, from manager, from support staff. Um, to be able to to be able to navigate all the way through, but it's it's definitely not easy. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, just very briefly, are are there as regards the structuring of the preseason without like the details? You go into a a club tomorrow or starting with a new team or anything like that. Like, what are some of those kind of important things in your mind as regards lessons learned or what's the best approach kind of on a on a macro level? course well i think number one and we'll probably come on to it a bit later is, is your testing like the first interaction you have with the players is, is the off is the pre-season testing and that's something the players will dread um but no matter what they do in the off season i know as a player going back you just you just fear coming at the bottom of the pack with, with some with, in some of the tests but that gives you a profile and that enables you to to work out even though you'll have a structure in place then it will enable you to work out who you think is going to be able to tolerate this program and who's not going to be able to tolerate that program, um, and then adjustments are made individually. It also then shapes you not only on pitch, as we've looked at aerobic testing as, as, as the biggest one you'd look at when they come back, but also their, their gym-based stuff. So how strong are they? You know, Have they done their off-season program well? How powerful are they? What sort of things are you looking at to measure that? Are you lucky enough to have force plate data, or are you looking off things like jump height, capacity testing? And again, that will give you an indication of where their gym work needs to go um, and physically how they are throughout. So that's number one. Like the, the, the testing is really important and make sure you have a good battery to, to be able to profile players quickly. Um, then I think it's about like generally having a solid program that linearly uh, increases load like over the first two or three weeks. Like you said, a lot of people come into preseason and, and, and go health the lever. Well, actually, yes, we need to like start off by really giving these players a tough first week it's the first week of preseason we can't have any wastage but like let's make sure we're increasing the load sensibly over time so for me week two and week three in particular they're your highest load in weeks because you've gradually built players there to to be able to adapt and like the more and more like i speak and we you know uh, we had the head coach come in start this season who brought in a lot of stuff that they did at liverpool like the way to increase the volume as well and to get people fitter and safely fitter is through some extra aerobic running sessions. So you go straight into technical work, of course, and that's gradually built up over time in terms of the content and the exposure. Like you said, trying to minimize like big extensive distances and then the 11 straight away to avoid, you know, the, the chance of hamstrings and, and, and sprint and the kind of the amount of sprint volume they can get. But you can safely put in double sessions with aerobic running, three minute runs, four minute runs, and build that capacity, especially if you're not sure that the off-season program is done to the T, which nowadays more and more people are doing what specific football work, actually, with mm-hmm. trainers, companies. So they've actually missed an opportunity to, to get that base. They might come in quite sharp um, and, and, and done a lot of twist and turning and done some football-specific stuff. 
So if we want to build the engine and build that aerobic capacity, then we have to do that in the first three or four weeks of, of, of uh, pre-season. So that would be like number one and working out how many doubles you do week one, how many doubles you do week two, week three, how that fits around the game program, how that interlinks with the football work. And then like how you're going to change those double sessions to drive aerobic adaptation. You know, how you're going to start the high volume work. And then, as you said, you're going to buy week three, get to your 15 on 15 off where you're getting some extensive running as well as an aerobic adaptation. Um, and the one thing that I think if you've got the, um, the resources and the capability to, to do it, is to really measure the internal response and the heart rate response, because something that maybe we focus too heavily on is the external outputs, which I think are essential and you have to monitor that. But actually monitoring how much stress you're putting the heart under from a physiological perspective, that's what's going to drive the adaptation long term. And they'll be able to cope with the external output then a little bit better. So making sure you periodize that well, making sure you're in good communication with coaches around the content of the sessions. When can we push the boat out with extensive sessions? When do we need things to be intensive? When can they start to work on some lower intensity tactical work um, at some point through pre-season? And we'll come on to this in another podcast. But it, they're just the main planning kind of principles that I would look at straight away. Yeah, great. Okay, really interesting. I think, <clears throat> as you briefly mentioned about the, you know, the four corner approach, technical, tactical, physical, psychosocial, I think we'll cover that in a further <clears throat> podcast about this area, because the physical corner in the in the preseason period is so important and critical. And it's probably the one time of the season that it's like, okay, over on to you physical guys, you get to plan out an awful lot of this this period. I mean, just briefly touching on that other stuff, we 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 set up a nice, quite a nice system when we were involved with London senior football team, whereby like for the first few weeks, we didn't play any games and it took us time to act like internally, internal games, never mind small sided games, but even it took us a couple of weeks to get up to like phases of play and extensive stuff like that. It was more technical practice, passing patterns into a little bit of possession work without it being too intense, like 1v1, 2v2, none of that kind of stuff. And then <clears throat> over on to the, you know, the physical development program and, and the, especially the aerobic work and everything. Um, but I think that's that's worth it, definitely another episode. Something I read about from Dave Tenney, who is Texas Austin um, football club at the moment, head of performance and previously did a lot of really good work with Seattle Sounders in the MLS um, in America. He was saying, uh, advising about trying to do heavy strength work in the off-season period. So it meant that he could bring the players into preseason and focus then on the technical stuff and the ball work, but also then really on the aerobic development work, you know, the, 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 the conditioning and stuff like that. Instead of like having the... the running conditioning and the heavy gym work together in the, in the preseason, he found out, okay, it's difficult to do both. Um, could you have a word about that? And I suppose it like really depends on what level of athlete you're working with or not level of athletes, but like how much strength training exposure they've had and are they a novice athlete and experience and also the trust and the processes set up between the, the player and, and the, the sports scientists, let's say. Yeah, sure, kids. Um, I think theoretically that that's completely sound, and and in the off season is a period to start to get that base aerobic fitness towards the end, but also you know throughout that period, opportunity to to get really strong and powerful. Um, 
that is definitely what's programmed. As I've said now, like there's a lot of players. It is essentially a period away from the club where the monitoring's left, mm. where the communication's left. And there's a lot of players now, you know, rightly or wrongly, doing a lot of stuff with these companies around improving their game and opportunities to, to develop in that sense. So like compliance is a big thing. And I think anyone working with professional football players will will have the same issue around compliance in the off season. So that's why your, your testing is so important when they come in and you've got baselines ideally from the players that were there from previous seasons to say, okay, well, have they increased their strength and power? No, they haven't. They've maintained some qualities because they focus on areas elsewhere. They might have done parts of the program and then parts of their own program and, and they've got agents telling them to go and work with this player. So there's, there's a lot of factors into it. Theoretically, I think it sounds like perfect because otherwise you're, you think on your tougher days, you're doing technical practice, football practice, you're doing hard aerobic work, you're doing strength work, you're trying to, it's a lot of physiological adaptation you're trying to drive in one period, and it is tough. Um, but I think that you're still going to have to get through that volume of work no matter what in the in, in the preseason period. But if you yeah. can, you know, drive the strength um, so you can just maybe like stick along a little bit and maintain stuff and introduce some more high velocity based stuff towards towards the back end of, of the preseason period. And as you say, focus on the volume of work you can get on on the pitch. Yeah. Okay, cool. Just in terms of then the how a day would look or a kind of a typical week would work. Like, I've I, so first of all, it's, it's, it's good to say that it's preseason is, is the days of like just running and stuff like that with no football for the first two weeks. Like they're well and truly gone and should be gone hopefully in the the GA world as well you know the balls come out straight away but like doing that kind of aerobic work and also the anaerobic stuff and and the aerobic power and the extensive stuff as well like that'll in some ways doing that without the ball and without you know just small side of games large side of games that allows you to kind of squeeze in extra work doesn't it because the mechanical load or the mechanical cost of that those slightly longer aerobic runs is lessened because there's not, you know, lots of change of direction, XL, D cell, and everything like that. And and also, well, like when we say about aerobic work, like this is not slow jogging, isn't it? Not like these these guys are operating at a very, very high level where they're covering a huge amount of ground. And you can, as you say, step it up and, and progress it through the, the the preseason period but do you want to just briefly mention about like the schedule of the day how that kind of looks and and also across the week does it just replicate a normal in-season week or is it slightly different yeah definitely slightly different and what i would say is it depends on again the collaboration and the thought process from manager head coaches around the weekly schedule in terms of how you're going to program obviously you're going to do more volume in preseason than you would in season so like there, there'd be typical weeks where you're in six days a week, you get one day off, um, but you're in you're in a lot. And what I've noticed from speaking to people that have worked in the Premier League and first and championship, the Premier League players straight away go in to sessions every day for like the first six days. So obviously how you fluctuate that throughout the week is 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 different. Um, but let me give you my my thoughts on this in terms of weekly. I always like to do the aerobic, like running personally in the afternoons. I think like get the football while it's fresh, even if it's a lower technical type stuff. It you have to assume it's a new stimulus to a lot of the players who have done their off-season program well. Um, technical stuff in the morning, but prior to that, the players would report. You'd monitor. You would do like monitoring, whether it's jump testing, 
whether it's isometric force plate testing, whether it's subjective stuff on the physios, well-being questionnaire, hydration testing, all these sort of things happen when the players arrive. Um, they go into a, a pretty normalized pre-activation where it's opportunity to work on mobility, and especially if they got some stiffness and, and soreness from prior. Um, and any prep work, especially towards the latter stages of pre-season, where they're going to go into more high-intensity type football practice, um, you would do in there as well. Then it's the, the first pitch session, so it's around whatever that technical or tactical or football type practice is at what stage. Like I said, even if it's um, a three and a half K light session where we're just getting a bit of ball feel, minimizing how much intensive stuff they're doing, but we're just introducing them back to some key principles and, and key training. Then you'd have lunch then you'd do an afternoon session after a, a probably two, two hours after lunch. So you'd let the food digest, try and maximize the recovery between the morning session and the afternoon. And as you said, that high intensity aerobic work so you're going to cover like 5k 5.5k through different intervals that you progress up but it's going to be work at vo2 max or at and around vo2 max maybe slightly higher if we're getting towards the back of stage of pre-season and yep. all those distances are are mapped out by their um, maximum aerobic speed that they get in their, their um, testing at the start and also their internal response so we can see how they're responding over time to these intervals uh, from a heart rate perspective and also how much distance they're covering in these intervals on then the tougher days so let's say two two days a week in the week minimum they would then do their gym session straight after the aerobic running um, to allow them for a really tough day and then the next day if they're in or if they're off it would be just a single session in the morning maybe with some mobility work and stretching and recovery in the afternoon so it would typically single, double, single, double, single. If you're going all the way through through the week, that gives you two, like two opportunities for like real aerobic work. Um, that might progress, that definitely will progress throughout the, the first two or three weeks of pre-season. Then Saturday being some form of in-house game or external fixture with maybe some extra aerobic runs if they're playing limited minutes um, yeah. and so on <clears throat> with, with the day off after that. How, uh, how would you progress then the aerobic development? So you mentioned about like, you know, let's say four, four minute runs or, or five, three minutes. Where does it go from there then generally throughout the six weeks? Yeah, well, essentially you're looking at like increasing intensity and, and reducing volume slightly or the volume you're doing in a particular bout. So like your four minute runs are your goal standard VO2 max development. You then three minutes then progress down to two minutes. Then once you get down to two minutes, it becomes more mass type work at 30 seconds on, 30 off, 15 on, 15 off. But the speed starts to increase. So you start to creep in some extensive work. When you get to like the 15 on, 15 off, it's not huge. It triples up um, slowly, but you have to respect that it's still putting posterior chain under a little bit of stress. And it's how you progress that. So like for me, you have to complete at least a minimum of two sessions on each modality before you move it on. Um, and you're looking at internal response distances they cover you're looking for that to be greater throughout the throughout the preseason period. So that gives you a, a eight to ten sessions, afternoon sessions that you've got already throughout preseason. And then it's about how much volume do you want to drive, how much volume of football starts to go up, how much volume of the running do you want to keep going. Three to four double sessions uh, during week three, potentially if that's that's the level and caliber you're working with. And again, you have to assess the group that you're working with because you need to make sure they can handle that volume. Um, to be able to take them there. So that's another another factor that comes into it. Yeah. Okay. In terms of the locomotive skills then and and you know your max speed exposures, especially, but also like are you dripping in change of direction, agility, acceleration, deceleration, just kind of 
as part of the warm up or or <clears throat> how do you kind of filter that in in preseason or is that not your focus? Yeah, that's definitely a part. I think especially after like the first week when we start to get more explosive type football practices, we have to prepare them for for those locomotive skills. So on your intensive days, you're looking at like a periodization of axel and decel. So can they break like relatively good intensity? Can they start to accelerate at a faster rate? And you're introducing that sort of stuff. Can you filter in some change of direction mechanics and, and agility work? And then as you get to some extensive days and you start opening the pitch up, then we have to start to get closer to max speed uh, throughout throughout the preseason period. So you might start off on the back end of week one, getting them up to 75, 80% of their max speed. You think safely we can do that. And then it's just built on the next week to 85, 90. And by week three, they're, they're sprinting maximally. But you have to respect the fact that once you go into, into football, into like a, if you go into a larger side game or phase of play, the players could get there naturally. So you have to make sure they're physically ready to do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> just last point then, uh, I think you covered just the performance testing and the importance of that and everything like that. Just a word then finally about, okay, you can have your programme in place, but then a lot of it comes down to the, the like the resources available to you in terms of like the players, what type of players you have and that importance of building a profile of your players, like especially with the medical staff and everything alongside how the manager wants the players to play, obviously as well, how much pressing from the front and stuff like that, or the fullbacks, you know, how much bombing forward and getting back the, the manager wants from that, but just more in terms of like the profiling and the importance of that and knowing the type of players that you have. Yeah, it's a very good point because one thing I forgot to mention is that you might have your, your program in place with, let's say this week, three afternoon sessions throughout training week for aerobic development. One player could have come back in really, really poor shape, for example, really high percentage body fat. Um, this is just hypothetical, so no, no one in mind um, for aerobic testing. So it's then a decision, well, I don't think they'll actually be able to handle that whole program. Mm. What's, the, what's the focus now? Do they actually need to focus on more aerobic running to get a base? That's one school of thought. Or do we want to focus on them being able to complete the football training and, and do the stuff the manager asks? And actually what we'll do for one or two of those afternoon sessions is we'll do it on a bike or we'll do it on a cross trainer. So we can offload them a little bit, but we're still giving them the internal response that we think is going to drive adaptation. Now, you, for me, the biggest transfer to running is running. So like you can't mm. just assume that they're going to develop that fitness. But over yeah. time, you might say, well, let's just do one afternoon session here two afternoon sessions where the team are doing four or three in week two, and then we'll try and get them to three afternoon sessions where the team are in, in week three. So we gradually increase that load and hopefully by then they're in better condition, they've got a better aerobic base, more training behind them. So you definitely have to profile your players into what I would say red, amber, green type players from a low tolerance perspective. And then what's your strategies then for the red zone players? How, how are you going to adapt the program? Is it that you don't think they're safe to go into some explosive football stuff yet? And they need more aerobic base. That's not always the most popular, but it could be the right thing for that player. Or is it you want to focus on getting them through the football, but actually we're going to take them out the risk of the on-seat fitness stuff and, and try and develop that elsewhere. It's really tricky. Um, you don't ever know the, the right answer for each individual, but you have your team that are working together and in collaboration with the manager. That's the decisions that need to be made throughout. Yeah. You know, it, it brings me back as well down to, the, it gets derided a lot, but the importance of, taking really good RPEs and even the wellness questionnaire the next morning <clears throat> because the player who comes back in a worse shape 
when he completes the, the technical football practice, he might the, the cost for him, the internal cost for him, the load might be an eight out of ten, whereas for another player that might be a moderate or relatively hard session of like a five or a six. So it's that importance of checking those simple things like RPEs and also how they respond the next morning in terms of their wellness questionnaire alongside the external loading of the GPS and the, the objective internal load in terms of the heart rate response and everything as well. Okay, Ross, uh, we leave it there. That was really interesting. I think it gives people a really good overview of planning a, a pre-season. Of course, <clears throat> you could go into way more detail about you know how you cycle or plan out each individual microcycle and everything like that. Um, but that's a really good overview. And we'll come back in a couple of weeks and chat about the technical and tactical aspect of it. Um, okay, so thank you, listener, for listening. Thanks, Ross, for coming on. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Cheers, kids.